Captain's Log, Stardate 75730.4. Aboard the station, members of the Vulcan Science Academy have convened for a meeting of great magnificence. We are being tasked with supporting scientific and cultural discourse with the Vulcans in attendance. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to peace and long life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Isak, and joining me for yet again another adventure, my sub-commander, Siri. How are you today? Uh, I am doing agreeable. You are agreeable to this meeting. I'm, I am agreeable to this meeting. I, I am agreeable to this meeting as well. Logic dictates that I should be agreeable to this meeting as well. Very well. Carry All right, on. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I threw Eric completely off on that. He had no idea that this was coming at all. So everyone, in all seriousness, <laughs> welcome to yet again another adventure here on the podcast. I, have, of course, am uh, the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me as always is my, my number one, Lieutenant Commander Eric, or Subcommander, whatever he wants to be tonight. It's, it's up to him. So, yeah, we can have Vulcan names just by turning our, our first name backwards apparently oh is that what you did yeah i man. didn't realize i didn't even realize that yeah sub commander Suri and captain isak there we go there we go okay so anyway everyone if uh, if the title of this episode didn't give it away tonight we're going to be talking about you know our favorite pointy-eared friends you know the people that are out of their vulcan mind the vulcans and uh Anyway, before we get into that, um, how have things been in, in your corner of the Alpha Quadrant, my friend? Yeah, solid. Okay. As yeah. opposed as a poised as opposed to not solid, I guess. As opposed to liquid or gaseous. Right? There we go. The, the things over here have been solid. Well done. Well done. I'm just curious, like, you know, with you being like a mathematician, you know, and you eat, sleep, breathe, all the things, math. Do you get like random things in like your your like algorithms like with like whether it's Facebook or it's Instagram or any social media account for like random how to do math problem type reels or videos or anything like that? No. I don't. Man, I have been getting Whenever I'm talking about math, I make sure to muffle my phone so it can't hear me. <laughs> Cuz it is totally listening. I should turn it off right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's listening to you. It's scary how you're, you don't even search for something. You just talk about something, and then all of a sudden you start to see ads for that. It's weird. It's quite weird, actually. Yes, it, it is. So I don't know if, like, I don't know what, what the deal is, but I have been getting, like, almost nonstop like these these reels or you know stories or whatever we want to call them depending on like the you know the the platform that you're using and it's like how to solve like SAT math problems and I'm like first off I'm too old to take the SAT I guess I'm not I guess I could take it but like 
for it to actually count for something, I'm too old to take the SAT. I mean, yeah, if you're going back to school right now, they probably you're, you're, the if you're, the school probably wouldn't ask you for your SAT scores. No. Right. No. But it, it's like it's like like the most like random stuff. Like, like I'm like, first off, who has time to do this? Like, just make random videos on how to solve like tough SAT questions or whatever. I mean, maybe they're getting paid for it. I mean, I would hope so, right? I mean, good you know, grief. Honestly, I think it might be fun to go back and take the SAT or the ACT now, right? And just see how well I would do on it. I mean... Like, go back and take the GRE again and see how well I would do on it now. Did I ever tell you that I never took the SAT the AC, or the ACT? And the only really? standardized test that I ever took was the GRE? Really? Mm-hmm. Your college admission didn't ask you for the ACT, SAT? Nope. I, so after we graduated from the same high school, I went to community college um, oh, there okay. in Flint. Sure. And I did that for a year. And then I transferred into, into U of M Flint, and that was it. No SAT or ACT. Okay. And then, that, I mean, that makes sense. And then, like, my master's program, they didn't require the GRE at all. So... They're like you ha- like as long as you were above a certain threshold, like with your GPA, they wouldn't require it. But if you're below a certain one, they're like you got to take it, type of thing. So I was fortunate to not have to take it. But to get into my doc program, they made me take it, and I argued with the admissions folks. I was like, look, look, with with the GRE, you're looking at aptitude. You're trying to predict future success in a graduate program. And clearly, I already have a graduate degree, which means that I've already demonstrated success in graduate-level thinking. So why do I have to take it? Like, you know, that's a great that's a great argument. It really is. You still got to take it, though. <laughs> because well, we said I, so. Do you want to know another, hear another funny story about, like, standardized testing and stuff? Do it. Make it so. So I took, I took AP Calc uh, sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And I took the AP test, and I only got a three on it, right? Uh, like you could have got three, four, or five, right, to pass it. So I only got a three on it because I, I don't know, whatever. Um, but then, you know, I took Calc 2 and Calc 3 at U of M Flint when I was still in high school. And then so when I went to college, and then I also took a elementary linear algebra course as well at U of M Flint all while I was in high school. So when I went to college, my first year down at Florida Tech, um, uh, I got transfer credits from okay. U of M Flint, right? I had them transfer in, and they gave me credit for Calc 2, Calc 3, and elementary linear algebra. But because I only got a 3 on the AP test, they didn't give me credit for Calc 1. <laughs> so they gave me credit for Calc 2, Calc 3, and intermediate linear algebra, but not Calc 1. They're like... Well, and so I was trying to register for differential equations. They're like, you don't have the prerequisites for this course. It's like, what do you mean? The prerequisite is Calc 3. It's like, but you don't have Calc 1. You gave me credit for Calc 2 and Calc 3. What do you mean I don't have credit for Calc 1? I'm like, yeah, you didn't score high enough on the AP test. Like, really? And then they're like, well, okay, here's what you can do. You can come to the math department's placement test and take the the calculus placement test to see where you place. And I was like, 
I don't want to do that. That's dumb. I have credit for Calc 2 and Calc 3. Just give me the dang credit for Calc 1. I don't want to take your stupid placement test. <laughs> it took about an hour of arguing with them for them to finally give me the credit for Calc 1. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's rich right there. Wow. Don't you love it when that kind of like bureaucratic <laughs> nonsense just rears its ugly head, man? Like, for real. Yeah, some people, they don't even think. They're like, yeah, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. Man. What a wonderful problem to have. <laughs> oh, man, your AP result's not good enough. But the fact... That's, that's asinine right there. That's just asinine right there. Yeah, it was. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. But yeah, like I've been getting like these like ran just these random videos just like pop up everywhere. And... I mean, like, there's part of them that it, it's kind of fascinating, like, to watch this person just like so, like, easily just answer some of these questions. Like, like some of it, like, kind of comes back, you know. Like, high school was mm, half a lifetime ago by this point, Probably. and yeah. oh, it's kind of scary to think about that, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of remember doing something like that at one point in one of those classes with one of those teachers. But like, it's, I mean, it's been a minute. That was a half a lifetime ago and I'm not a math guy. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, how do you solve this, this, uh, I think like linear equation or something like that to find like what slope is or something like that. It was like three X minus four Y equals seven or something like that. And like, anyway, it was, it was fascinating just watching like how quickly they went through it and anyway that's that's all i gotta say about that but we are not here to talk about math i mean we, we probably will talk about math because vulcans probably love math um but the game is based on geometry it would not challenge a vulcan child <laughs> there's your math reference right there <laughs> we have checked the box we have checked the box oh man uh anyway so I say we we go ahead and just just dive right in and, and get into it. Let's so, do it. Let's do it. So, um, you know, not too long ago, Eric um, and people in listener land, we we had a an episode on Klingons. Um, I think was like one of our first like real dives into um, aliens and alien culture within the Star Trek um, universe of sorts, the Star Trek future of sorts. And uh, we had a we had a pretty fun conversation. I mean, like, there's a lot of uh, rich stuff that came with with uh, the like Klingons in general. Um, Klingons and Vulcans themselves have been around um, for essentially the same amount of time. Um, like from like a, a a series standpoint, like they were both present in the original series, and they've continued to prevail through virtually every iteration of Star Trek for the most part. So, um, with this being around the time of, of First Contact, uh, if you haven't listened to our, our First Contact's question mark episode, go ahead and, and give that a listen um, as we talk about alternate, um, alternate question mark uh, First Contacts um, that we've seen on screen uh, highlighting things such as like Vulcans and Frankie, um, among others. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to give some love to those pointy-eared folks, those 
those green-blooded individuals that, that Bones just loves to egg on, for crying out loud. And that is, um, that is our, our, our very old, long-standing allies, the Vulcans. So, Eric, to me, whenever I think of Vulcans, apart from, you know, Mr. Spock and Leonard Nimoy, um, I, I just, I, like, Vulcans just kind of go hand-in-hand hand with Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, I would think that they're probably the most iconic Star Trek species, right? Fictional species in yeah. that universe, probably just because we had Spock as our main character on on the original series and then he was he was a huge character and then in the, all the movies in the neck in the decade that the movies were coming out he played a large role in all of those movies very just iconic species absolutely absolutely yeah and um and of course leonard nimoy uh, rest his soul you know he he was the one that was instrumental in really developing and carving out like what Vulcans were and like what their culture was and all sorts of different things. Like he was the one that, that spelled everything out much the same way that Doug Jones is the one that's really developing and teaching other people how to play Kelpians on, on like, you know, Star Trek discovery, for instance. Yeah. When you think about it, like everything, especially like, let's just say Doug Jones for a second everything he does with the Kelpian is like basically has to be modeled by the others like I'm thinking about like the way he walks and the way he's like swinging his arms with his like hands kind of out and then he's behind him like when we got Sukal in season 3 like that's exactly how Su- the actor who played Sukal was was walking as well so everything that Doug Jones did became the model for all the other Kelpians and I think that's the same thing you know, with Leonard Nimoy and Spock, every 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 sort of like body language, every sort of movement, every sort of facial expression, kind of became the template of this entire fictional species that was created. Yeah, and yeah. Everybody, Bi- in a sense, tried to emulate him. Yeah, Bill uh, Bill Irwin, I believe, is the one that played um, Sukal um, in in Discovery, and like I, I remember seeing. Um, Bill Irwin, um, in, in inter- interspersed throughout like shows like uh, Law and Order SVU, playing um, Benson's um, psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever at different points. Um, he's done other things as well too. But you know, yeah, like there's this association, there's this expectation that the originating actor of of something is going to have a lot of say in terms of how future portrayals are going to go. And um, like we were saying, like you know, that's what happened with Leonard Nimoy. You know, when he was first hired on, um, in the even in the original pilot, um, he I think that the story goes that um, he was supposed to be like originally like an, a Martian or something, and um, that there were notes that came back and that he looked too much like the devil or whatever, and like you know Midwestern homes and you know Bible Belt homes weren't going to be too thrilled with seeing like some kind of satanic kind of figure coming into their living rooms or whatever. Um, so notes were kind of changed to make him um, a little, I guess, more family-friendly, if you will, um, giving him, making him more, um, him, him half-human as opposed to this Martian type of thing. 
Yeah, that just seems so crazy. Like, okay, he's got pointy ears and his eyebrows are pointy. And he's got a little funny Caesar-style haircut. Like, that's like in the 60s. That was like, oh, middle America couldn't handle that look. That's hilarious. (laughs) I mean, it's true, though. I mean, oh, yeah. And, like, I mean, we we saw in the cage where, you know, Leonard Nimoy was very much... um, a different Spock than what we got following the second pilot with Where No Man Has Gone Before and even like the rest of the series and the movies where you know we had we had a Spock who was much more in touch with his emotions in the original pilot compared to more I don't know playing it close to the the vest if you will Um, yeah but I think Spock is still a pretty big character even in that original pilot of the cage 100% 100% yeah um even I mean, even the performance like was was essentially like reused. Um, whenever we get to like the menagerie, for example, which was basically a clip show from the original pilot, uh, yeah. for for the most part. Um, but anyway, like with with the Vulcans, right? Like we we know that. Um, actually, maybe we don't know. You know, maybe this is your first time. Like you just came across some random Star Trek show. You know nothing about it. Maybe you don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, Vulcans are these very highly logical, low emotion, not without emotion, just low emotion um, creatures uh, from planet Vulcan. Um, their origins could be from somewhere else. I know it's alluded to by Spock in, um, I forget the name of the episode, um, but where he's saying, like, we could, we could have... Um, um, originated from these folks generations ago. The um, oh my goodness, I think it starts with an E. Is, is this coming to mind at all? No. Wow. Okay. You say something while I'm I'm gathering my thoughts. Okay. Well, the Vulcans—they come from the planet Vulcan. Yes. Which is pretty pretty close to Earth, from what we understand of the Star Trek space charts, right? Stellar cartography. Um, it's a desert planet. Um, you know, Vulcans physi- phys- physiologically have adapted to, you know, uh, prosper on this desert planet, right? We know that um, they can withstand intense temperatures. They have a double set of eyelids, right? And inner eyelids and outer eyelids for the high sun which is kind of funny when you think in like star trek picard commodore o has got her really stylish shades on <laughs> yeah her, her ray-bans right um the, yeah. so here's here's a, here's what i was what i was trying to remember so um spock theorized that vulcans might have been descendants from the um Ar- aritans so from the episode return to tomorrow okay so that was it okay but yeah but yeah, yeah, Commodore O and her and her Ray Bans. Um, yeah, but she was only her... half Vulcan, right? <laughs> That's yeah. No, but as you say, we like people often say Vulcans have no emotion, which is is not true. Vulcans have emotions. They've got emotions yeah. just like humans and other species do. It's just they they work hard to suppress them. That's right. Yeah, like they 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 have like 
so many different uh, ways of disciplining themselves, whether it's through like, you know, their studies like with science or engineering, just like, just like any discipline, right? Like, but like they, they just take it just a one step further, one step further in, in keeping things in check, as well as also having like these other, like spiritual practices of sorts, these, these, um, guided meditations, these casting off of sorts, like this, um, expunging, right? This, this, um, casting away of emotion, much like Spock, uh, where we found him really at the beginning of the motion picture, uh, was, was in the process of doing that. Um, but like the call back to space, the call back to adventure is what prevented him from being able to truly air quotes, eliminate that from himself, from his person. Yeah. They, they, they can go through a process of it's called colonar, like mm-hmm. the purging of all emotion. That's just a fun word, colonar. Yeah. Colonar. Um, but yeah, like, and we we learn over the course of the 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 history of Star Trek that Vulcans used to like not suppress their emotions. They used to like let them out and feel them, but it was like emotions that like almost destroyed their planet and destroyed their civilization. They were like a almost a savage type race many centuries ago and it was this guy named Sirak who, you know, introduced logic to to the Vulcan culture and Vulcan society and that's when they started to suppress their emotions and it saved them as a species from extinction, self-extinction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and you see, you really see, you you hear a lot about that. You know, you, you hear about, like, logic a lot uh, and the role that it plays and, like, the quirkiness of, of this um, alien race through most of Star Trek. But you really don't see this stuff, like, really how it originates to a certain extent really until you get to enterprise which i think is where like vulcans really get to shine like we really get to see an angle of them that we hadn't otherwise seen um prior to that point in 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 the tv shows no i think that's a fair point you know we have spock as this main character but you know we're on a ship that's traveling around and we don't really check in with Vulcan society. All we learn about Vulcan society is what Spock tells us, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got episode where Sarek comes aboard, right? And then, you know, we've got the movie, and then we've obviously got we've got Amok Time, which we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point. Um, and, you know, we got the movies, which, you know, deal with Spock a lot, you know, obviously the search for Spock as a movie where, where we go back to the planet Vulcan. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. <coughs> I don't really learn as much about Vulcan culture until we get to Enterprise. And I think for a lot of people, it was it was very odd the way Vulcans were portrayed in Enterprise because it was they were portrayed much differently than I think we had seen 
you know, 40 years or whatever up until that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what people often forgot is that Enterprise took place 100 years earlier. So it makes sense that they're behaving in a somewhat different manner. Yeah, I want to um, just read a, just a, a, a little maybe brief snippet of um, something that uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga uh, were saying about like the background of like the Vulcans in, in Enterprise. So uh, Braga said that uh, when the early episodes of Enterprise were first broadcast, there were some fans, um, some very vocal fans, um, that complained about how Vulcans were shown as being quite antagonistic to humans, which was very unlike how Vulcans had been portrayed prior to that. Um, the concern was later addressed in the fourth and final season of, of Enterprise, uh, which uh, there was this backstory which we know about. Uh, about the Vulcans being presented that explained a lot of the things, showed the Vulcans cu- culturally evolving into the ones that we now know, or that we came to know in, in original series. Uh, Berman explained that they wanted their human characters uh, from 100 years before Kirk to seem unsure of themselves as they began space exploration. And Braga added they wanted to also revamp the Vulcans a little bit and show that they evolved as well. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, like, especially from a, from a storytelling, just from a writer's perspective, you want to like try new things. You don't want to just, oh well, you know, these are the characters, and let's just write them the same way. You want to like explore new things. Yeah, and even even with what we see in in Enterprise, because like I said, like this is where we're really fleshing out. I th- I, I think we're really fleshing out the Vulcans uh, more than any other series um, that's been on. Um, is that even when we like the pilot episode where Archer is so pissed off at the Vulcans for holding him and his his dad back basically like you know my dad should have seen this warp 5 um, engine become a reality and you know dang it all it was your fault you know like where we are there to where we end up where there's like okay, like, I can kind of appreciate you. Like, we can kind of appreciate and kind of respect each other. By the time this the series ends, that's, like, very satisfying, especially for for fans that have been around for, for a minute that have, you know, loved the Vulcans, um, like, of, of TOS, like, mainly because of Spock. But, like, it's so highly satisfying seeing that trajectory that the species and the characters have been on. Yeah, yeah, I think we we see in the pilot episode Broken Bow where Ambassador Saval is is very like antagonistic toward toward Captain Archer, like very much so. And it's like, wow, he's really like pushing Archer's buttons, isn't he? Right? And yes, they he is. two of them really like don't get along all that well. Right. But then you see in this season four, like three part storyline where um at one point uh, Ambassador Saval says to Trip, Commander Tucker, he's like, "I've really grown to uh, and to to like Captain Archer, and I have a strong affection for him now." <laughs> and and Tucker's like, "Really? You did a hell of a job of keeping that to yourself." Take and Saval's like, "Thank, thank you." <laughs> it's like that's a compliment. <laughs> no, it's very satisfying, you know, when you hear Saval say that. At the end, like, I've grown fond of Captain Archer, and I've come to really respect him from where they were at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 
So, the thing about Vulcans, that even for me, who I consider myself like a decent fan of Star Trek, I mean, sure, fine. Like, even for me, I have just a wee bit of a hard time kind of buying what they're selling at times when it comes to how the Vulcans are seemingly related to like 13,000 different species in, in Star Trek, right? Like Romulans, okay, I'm picking up what they're laying down on that. Andorians, that's a little bit more difficult. You know, and then like the Remans with the Romulans, you know, that means that like, it's like, it's like a freaking like, what, um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon with the Vulcans for crying out loud. Like they're somehow like related to all the folks. Are they? I don't know. I'm just saying, man, like there's just like, there's like so much going on, right? Like, like with the like Romulans for one, like there's like a common ancestor in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And... Like, I, mean, I seem to recall, I'm, I could be, I, I don't know, I could be way, way off on this, but, like, I seem to recall that there's some kind of distant relationship even with the Andorians, despite the antagonism. Hey, I seem to recall there was a Next Generation episode called The Chase, where Picard's archaeology mentor, you know, went on a quest, and they found that, like, all life, all like humanoid life in this part of the galaxy shared one giant common ancestor, which is why they all basically look the same. Next thing you know, you know, freaking Klingons and Romulans will be re related to each other. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. That might I be know. A bridge too, that might be a bridge too far. I know. That's why I said it to get a rise. I do what I can. Man. I'm here. I'm here for the lols. You know what I'm saying? Not not the Android lol. The L O L Z lols. The lols. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So Vulcans, right? Like we just we just got done celebrating. Um, however, however, y'all. So, did did you celebrate First Contact Day somehow, Eric? I did. did. You, like, I just I just I watched the movie. I I got Raquel to watch it too for the first time. There and I was go. like, put your phone down. Put your, she's like, I'm trying. It's like, put your phone down. She tried to pick it up right at the scene when when Lily walked into the the um, the observation lounge. And I was like, put your phone down right there. This is the best part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is the best part of the movie. Put your, put, put your phone down. If she listens to this right now, look, Raquel, we've never met, but I'm very angry at you. You have no idea how many times I've watched this movie. Like, you were you were playing, like, freaking Minesweeper while you were, air quotes, watching this. Like, what's up with that, man? <laughs> anyway, we celebrated. We had a cake that said, Happy First Contact Day, by the way. Nice. That, that was one way that we celebrated and I made sure the kids wore, wore their uh, their Starfleet, Star Trek stuff to school. And um, I had to teach that day, but I still wore, like, my Star Trek polo to teach that day. And, and my wife, God love her, she 
she didn't realize what day it was immediately. So she ended up putting on like this Star Wars shirt. And it was like Darth Vader holding like a um, um, a Mickey a Mickey bar, like on a on a, a Disneyland ride or whatever. And I'm like, you're really gonna wear a Star Wars shirt on like one of the holy days of the Star Trek fandom? She's like, oh shoot! So she went back in and she changed her shirt immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I say all that to say, you know, like we just spent. Um, you know, just recently, uh, we were celebrating, we were talking about, you know, first contact and yeah, we did an episode on it, uh, not too long ago, but first contact, right? Like we couldn't have had first contact without the Vulcans, the Vulcans and humanity go together like squawk on chicken, like white on rice, you know, um, we go hand in hand, like we are each other's, uh, I, I would say each other's like oldest allies, for the most yeah. part, when it comes to like interstellar relationships, definitely closest allies, right? Yeah. I think, you know, the two of them are at the heart of the founding of the Federation. Yes, right? at its yes. core. Which, <clears throat> without getting, uh, I'm going to jump timelines a little bit, but like, you know, they were there in the beginning, and. You know, like whether it's the the Vulcan Science Academy, the High Command, like there's this sharing of information, like we've grown together, you know, like they kind of helped us, you know, go a little bit deeper into the ocean that is the, the wider universe or whatever. And it's really heartbreaking, dude, like when you get to like discovery and you you find out that like the Federation and just Starfleet by extension has just fractured and like we are like we went from like a bajillion and a half different member worlds down to only like a half dozen really thereabouts and among the ones that are no longer there is our, our Vulc is Vulcan uh, now Navarre at this point but like that's heartbreaking yeah well I think you see like the, the politics of the planet Vulcan now it's Navarre right, right. that's like an, an acronym right now it's Vulcan and Romulus. Oh, how about that? That's good. <laughs> I, I know. I'm sure that's not like the reason, but like now it's Vulcan and Romulus. Dude, I think you <laughs> cracked the code. <laughs> anyway, like the politics of the planet Vulcan have now changed, right? Romulans, who were an enemy, enemy of the Federation, are now integrating into society with the Romulans. But I also seem to remember like there was an experiment that that um the Vulcan or the, the Navarre scientists were doing to like create some other type of warp drive without dilithium and they they thought they caused the burn because of it, right? And so they felt like the Federation pressured them into it. And that was kind of what hurt relations. Yeah. I seem to remember that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, uh, what's, what's the saying? Um, wrong place, wrong time type of scenario. Like they were, I mean, they were doing their own research. Like they were just, you know, nerding out on Navarre. Right. And the cry that shattered the universe happened. And it was just highly coincidental was just fractured and just deepened the wound that much more 
that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the thing that I like about I, I think I like about Vulcans is just the fact that um, I'm, I'm, I, there's a point to this that you know when I was when I was younger, and you'll be able to um, at least understand this reference that I'm going with, Eric, and people of our age will be able to understand this, I, I would hope also. But, you know, when we were younger, when we were in, like, elementary school, Power Rangers was um, a very, very, very popular show uh, when we were children. And uh, the Blue Ranger was the one that I always, like, connected with the most. Like, he wasn't, like... Like he wasn't the Tommy or the Jason. Like he wasn't like the the out in front leader. He was the support person. He was the one that was kind of like coming at it from a different angle. Um, who was able to invent things, um, to provide just provide different perspectives um, that the charismatic ones probably didn't. Not that there's anything wrong with the charismatic folks. And that's part of why I like Billy so much. The original Blue Ranger was because of that like that's how I saw myself like I've always seen myself as like a support person like in organizations like I do better as a support person more than anything else um and that's the Vulcans I would say um not that there aren't great leaders there are fantastic leaders um with Vulcan with with, um people of Vulcan and just the Vulcan characters we've met too but like I see this this complementary relationship um just coming out so very very well um, in the storytelling that we see on screen that while we have like the charismatic types like the Kirks the Pikes we haven't really seen much of of April but you know just pick any any charismatic type of individual even Janeway for crying out loud Um, we have this great support structure from like these brains these people that are very logical very rational individuals that bring this perspective that is so very much needed, whether it's with Spock, Tubok, pick anyone. Uh, what, what do you think about that with my rant? Yeah, I'm kind yeah of I, think, I think that's a good point. Is like, you know, Kirk is the charismatic leader, you know, the, the true alpha type. Like, I'm going to take charge of any situation. But, you know, you need that rock beside, if you're going to be that person, just like completely gung-ho, you're going to need that rock beside you, somebody who's not going to get rattled by anything, somebody who you know you can turn to and rely on if, heaven forbid, you screw up in your charismatic gung-ho-ness, right? Um, <laughs> Which I think happens Shall we look times. to um, exhibit A, the undiscovered country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, you know, and... Kirk, as much as Spock might drive him crazy sometimes, and as much as Spock might drive Bones crazy sometimes, All they the both time. know they yeah well yeah they both know that they're gonna, that he's going to be there and they can rely on him to be yep. that that steady hand beside him. Yeah, and I think, and I think Janeway has the same thing. Like her and Tuvok have had a long relationship, right in the past, and I think you know Janeway knows that he's going to be that steady hand. That he that she can turn to. Yeah, and I think you actually... you see that develop in Enterprise too. You know, originally, you know, Archer doesn't really trust to Paul, and it's supposed to be a short term thing, but he eventually really comes to to rely on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I've I've actually been rewatching uh, Voyager 
and I'm like, man, this is a good show. Like this, this show doesn't get enough credit, man. Like, like I actually just got done watching uh, one of my favorite um, uh, Voyager episodes from season one, um, Heroes and Demons. I just, I think that's just a fun, just a fun little adventure. Um, whether you like Beowulf like or not, off, right. yeah. Um, I just think it's fun. Like you know, the Doctor gets to go on a little away mission to the holodeck. It's it's fun, it's fun. Um, but yeah, like there's there's something about like having this re- <clears throat> um, this. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. I guess just like this really good representation that all types of of personalities are welcome right um which goes to you know the symbol that is very much associated with vulcan society the the itic infinite diversity and infinite combinations right so um you know with 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 the itic you know like like it says infinite diversity infinite combinations um there's there is so much that can be explored that can be welcomed in terms of how we we think how we analyze how we we experiment how however we do this that or the other thing which to me seems almost how do i say this like hypocritical in a way with how vulcan like the vulcan science academy is even with spock with choosing Starfleet over a scientific assignment on the homeworld. You know, like giving, like just basically saying, really? Starfleet? For real? You gotta be kidding me. Hey, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? But like, you know, like. But I mean, I mean, we know in. Star Trek the motion Star Trek 2009 yeah Spock chose to go to Starfleet because essentially the Vulcans insulted him right and he he needed to like stand up for his mother his human mother right now we have no idea if that's what happened in like the the prime timeline right, right. you know because at that point things have already changed because we have the the ship come in, you know, the near Nero ship. I forget what it's called. The Marauder, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So who knows if that's what happened that ship. In, in the in the real timeline. Right. Well, I mean, like, he's half human, so I mean, we know that he's gonna be older than I mean, I would think he'd be older than like Kirk and Pike, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I mean, he's like, what, close to like 200 or something by the time of like next gen. Is that right? Well, I I know that Sarek is like 202 years old in when he dies right around the, in the episode unification. Mm -hmm. So if Spock's father is 202, how old does that make Spock? Right. I mean, I mean, 150, maybe. Right, and then like what what happens like with uh, the Hoba Star and everything? I mean, that's like you know fifteen twenty years after Unification One, 
when he passes. So, I mean, yeah, maybe like 170-ish by the time that happens, yeah. give or take. So, anyway, we're getting in the weeds with this. Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about um, some of the more notable uh, Vulcans that we've we've come to know, come to experience at different stages, different uh, different points in in um, this Star Trek future of ours. So obviously we have Spock. I mean that goes without without saying. Um, and we just mentioned Sarek, so Spock's daddy. Yeah, he was Ambassador Sarek. He was the Vulcan ambassador to the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we also mentioned uh, T'Pol, who uh, was around uh, about 100 years prior to the adventures of uh, Kirk and company in the original series, uh, who was originally part of uh, the High Command, who was essentially supposed to be like a spy, like a chaperone of sorts with the NX-01 Enterprise crew of Archer and company. My purpose on this mission is not espionage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wink, wink. Very awkward <laughs> winking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not here to spy on you, man, at all. I mean, pay no attention to this tricorder right here that's collecting. It's fine. It's fine. Vulcan star charts. What? Um. So yeah, we have we have that. Uh, and we'll we'll talk. We can talk about like. Tuvok and a few others, um, and like Savic and Valeris here in, here in a minute if we want to. But look, man, Vulcan's got needs. You know what I'm saying, bro? Pon far, as in pon far out, yo. Um, we we know we got this thing that we find out in the original series, where Vulcans have a little something something that's got to go down. Or up, depending on how you look at it, every seven years. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that just happened. Um, Ponfar. And um, there's also um, essentially like some arranged marriages of sorts, which we find out too with um, with this lady named uh, Tapring. Good old Tapring. Um, who uh, we, we meet in, of course muck time which i know you had teased a little bit earlier so i'll let you take the lead on a muck time since yeah a muck time a muck time is one of my favorite original series episodes it, it's sure. fantastic it's the season two premiere depending upon which watch order you have for it I, I don't know if it was actually the first one to appear on tv but if you watch it on like amazon prime or netflix it's episode season two episode one um yeah, it's we learned that this pond far, um, you know, it basically it messes with Vulcan brain chemistry. It's not just oh they're in heat or whatever. Like literally, <laughs> their their brain chemistry gets altered, and it, it they essentially devolve like where they can't control their emotions anymore, and they just become like the like the, the desire to like mate overrides every every other function of their of their being and uh yeah and so like spock is like i have to go back to vulcan i have to go back to vulcan and it's like 
well, tell me, Kirk's like, tell me why. I was like, I, I can't tell you why. They're also like, it's something they don't talk about with outsiders, like, at all. Like, we don't talk about this thing. And, uh, you know, they he wants to go home to, to mate with to Pring, who was, they had an arranged marriage, but, like, to Pring rejects him. And, like, they can you can they have this like blood fever that's the name of an episode in voyager blood fever where you know a, the blood fever can be gotten rid of in two ways by mating or by like a fight to the death like i've never really understood how those are the two options like they don't really seem equal options but yeah sure you can you can get rid of this blood fever and you can make the pond far end by mating or by having a fight to the death and you know he has to fight Kirk to the death. Mm-hmm. To which, like, Spock ultimately figures out this is what's up, and even compliments to Pring on, like, her uh, what was it, like, flawless logic or something yeah, like that? Yeah, because she wanted to mate with somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and, and everything just, it works out in the end. It's fine. It works out in the end. Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, Let's talk about Spock's Pond Far at the beginning of season two. Well, the Pond Far happens every seven years, doesn't it? It does. So when does Strange New Worlds take place? What, like nine years, eight years before the original series? Possible, yeah. I mean, does that mean at some point Spock is going to go through a pond far on Strange New Worlds? Look, man. There was, a, there, was a, there was a lot of, like, sexy time stuff in that trailer that we got for Strange New Worlds. I know. I wasn't going to call you out on it, but, like, some of the, the, the group text action that we've we've had, um, you had pointed that out. Like, man, there, there's, like, there's some, like, there's some stuff going on. I hope this isn't gonna all be like sexy. Not time. that I'm I'm not a prude or anything, but like, do we need this much sexy time in Star Trek? <laughs> the answer is, yes, yes we do. Okay. I, I no I don't I don't think we do, but you know like if if the timing is right, yeah, like that makes sense that there would potentially be a pond far here because one. We're in that era of television where we got to have, like, sexy time all the time, basically. Or death. Or both. Or, like, heightened emotions. Why not all three? Let's do it. That's fine. So, like, it would make sense from a narrative standpoint for, like, some kind of Ponfar thing to take place on Strange New Worlds. That's fine. And it, and it would line up with canon. So, yay props to the writers for paying attention? Question mark? Um, anyway... Back to what you're saying, uh, Ponfar in season two. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that was one of like the first big things we learned about Vulcans, right? Is this they have this mating ritual which literally like drives them crazy, and it's like it's a personal matter. I know we get, I don't know if you want to jump to the Voyager and talk about it all, but like there's two two I mean Tuvok is there, and I think at some point Tuvok goes through his own Ponfar. Before before we jump okay, to right, the 24th yeah. century, there is one other thing that I wanted to talk about briefly that still has to do with Spock and Ponfar. And that is 
search for Spock. Yes. Okay, I think I think we need to talk about this for a second. Okay. So, um, which also ties in with Savick, who is one of the other more popular Vulcans, I would say, in in the franchise. Um, so Savick, either being portrayed by Kirstie Alley or by Robin Curtis, both wonderful actresses, um, did did the role very well, I think. Um, I, have, I have no issues with them. Um, we know that uh, that Spock, um, air quotes, dies at the end of Wrath of Khan. Saves the ship, needs the many, needs the one type of thing. We, we know that thing. There's a great looking Hallmark ornament that you can get with that too. Um, but then like he ends up on the Genesis planet and that's what the whole point of Star Trek 3 is, is getting Spock back. Like, there's something going on. We have to do all the things to try and rescue our friend. But we're, we're witnessing Savick and even David, David Marcus, who's watching everything happen. And Savick knows that, oh, shoot, something's going down. Like, he's about to go through his, his pond far, and I need to help him. I'm the only Vulcan female that can help him. The story goes, and I don't know, I, I think it might have ended up being deleted or just outright ignored, but the story goes, you might know this, Eric, I don't know, that part of what happened with the pond far on the Genesis planet uh, between the still developing Spock, like the reintegrating Spock or whatever, and Savick was that Savick became pregnant by Spock. And that's why she was essentially left behind there at the, you know, end of Search for Spock, beginning of Voyage Home on Vulcan. Yeah, I I I did I did know of that. Like, yeah, when they're leaving Star mm-hmm. Trek and Star Trek Four to go back, why does Savick stay behind? Well, because she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I don't. I think that storyline gets completely dropped. It does. Yeah. It. And I don't think we're. Ever, I don't think we ever mention anything, ever about a child of Spock. No. But there's plenty of runway to bring it up if we really wanted to. I mean, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a loss for the Star Trek galaxy that there is no child of Spock. Would you be okay with that? I would be okay with a child of Spock. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we had a brother of Spock that came randomly out of nowhere. And a sister of Spock that came randomly out of nowhere. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have let's have a random son or daughter of Spock. Let's do it. Yeah, if it was done right then I think that would be fine. I think, you know, the Michael Burnham of it all was just kind of shoehorned in there and didn't really make all that much sense. Yeah. I, You know, the more I think about it, like, I, I don't think I'd have an issue with with having, you know, like a, I don't know, pick a random Vulcan name, you know, like Sally. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with a Sally, you know, as the daughter of Spock or something. Yeah, Sally is now a Vulcan girl's name by the way okay Saleh, um, though right Saleh. Like sal apostrophe a sal a it's like sale right it's like sale but with an apostrophe between the l and the e Saleh. ah there you go that's better yeah Ooh, look at that man we're yeah, just, we just like thinking on the fly that. look at this go man see we're the marketing team y'all like 
Listen, Star Trek, we're here. We're here. We're ready to join the writer's room, okay? Beam us in, please. Please. Come on, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock and roll. I mean, the writer's room could use some fresh blood at this point. Man, Eric. Let's, Let's be honest. Eric, this is our time to shine, bud. I mean, you know, I did write I did write a novel at one point. I've written a lot of things at one point. Oh man, <laughs> I could write. I, I've written a Doctor Who uh, fan fan story, man. Like I can do this. Awesome. Yeah, man, I can do this. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so. So yeah, we we have we have um, we have Savick, um, who, the character herself like starts off as like this very, um, what's the word? Um, She's a lieutenant. Yeah, like right? there's like there's there's this like, you know there she, she she's you know wet behind the ears and stuff you know, uh, fresh out the academy of sorts. But yeah, taking and, the Kobayashi Maru. That's the first time we see her. Yep. And we, we do see like some growth, like it's it's like kind of quick growth, but like she's she's really tempered, I think, as a Starfleet officer, and I, I really like it. Um, and even even after this, like you know, like they were wanting to bring Savic back into um, I think even like undiscovered country, but it didn't work out for some reason, which goes back to even like what we were just talking about, like with being left on Vulcan, which is where we get Valeris. Um, who is much more like like almost the antithesis of of Savick, even yeah. the antithesis of Spock for crying yeah. out loud. Played by Kim Cattrall, who yep. always has the look always has the look of like the femme fatale character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, got in trouble for I think she did like a um, uh, a spread on was it like Maxim or something? Like Kim she, Cattrall, she, yeah. Know. So around so when she was so when like the press and like the marketing and stuff was going on, the the story goes that she posed. I think it was like Maxim, wasn't Playboy. I'm pretty sure it was Maxim, that um, just in her her ears. That was it, hmm. and like producers and people at the studio were not happy with her at all for doing that. Well, I can imagine they wouldn't be happy. Right, right. <laughs> So, um, but she thought it would be like empowering or something or whatever to, to pose in her, her Vulcan ears or something like that. Um, anyway, but like we, we find out like she's like part of like the conspiracy, um, in an undiscovered country. And I think she plays like that, um, conniving, um, able to, to, you know, play both sides of the aisle very effectively as far as I'm concerned. Um, so who's, who's supposed to, in all seriousness, like is supposed to take over for Spock on the enterprise. Like he is grooming her and she just straight up betrays the brother man. Can you like, can you imagine that dude being the one that so intimately betrays the great captain Spock? No, I can't imagine wanting to do that. That's like being like Judas, right? And being the one that like betrays Jesus for crying out loud. Like you're forever known as the one that betrayed like the dude, 
the dude. Okay. Anyway. I mean. So. Uh, I, this is this is random, but was was Valerius a full Vulcan? I could have swore she was. I know, cause which I thought I don't know. Maybe I'm just remembering wrong that she like betrayed them because she was part Romulan. Well, there's one way to find out. That's probably not true, right? I bet that's not true. Uh, no, she was straight up Vulcan. Okay, I don't know where I got. I don't know where I got that idea. Wishful thing. I just have a hard time believing that full Vulcans would betray Spock. Mm-hmm. Would betray the Federation. Yeah, at the Kittimer conference. Anyway. Okay. But let's let's jump ahead. Let's let's go let's, you know, slingshot around the sun or whatever and go forward in time instead of back. And let's talk about our boy Tuvok. Yeah, I mean, like, we've got Spock here on the original series, and then the next generation came around, no Vulcan, right? I mean we had Data who like doesn't have emotions and sort of plays the same type of role as the science officer, no emotions. Uh, we do T-Space 9, no Vulcans. So we finally get another Vulcan in with Tuvok, now a security officer, not a science officer, on board the Voyager. He's part of the main cast. And, you know, very underused character, I think. I, I don't know if he was used as well as he could have been. I'm not sure if the writers really knew what to do with him. In the same way they really didn't know what to do with Chakotay after, like, they integrated the crews. Very underused character. Yeah, but even even still, like, I really... I, I, mean, I love the heck out of Tuvok. I mean, oh, I even, like, like, watching, like, even the... The... Um, <laughs> The annoying, uh, like, like the uh, not, not even antagonistic, just the relationship I guess that he has with Neelix, much yeah, like it's Odo has with Quark. You know, um, it, it's it's fantastic, and like just even much, much, much later. Actually, it's when Neelix is leaving. Yeah, he, right? he does. Yeah, I'm gonna get you to dance, and Tuvok sticks his foot out and just like slowly wiggles it, it back and yeah. forth like once yeah. <laughs> there there's something so refreshing about Tuvok and I can't quite put my finger on it but uh, I mean like even I, I, like I, like I said earlier like I'm rewatch I, I started a rewatch of, of Voyager and I'm in I'm in season one almost in season two but you know just rewatching these first season episodes and like where everyone is kind of landing you know as we move towards the end and just like how he handles investigations like just so well like I, I get that it's the writing but like just but like the actor's got to do something with it too right like like when when Tom Paris is you know having to relive a murder that he didn't commit every 14 hours and he's having to like really get down to it and even Tom's like you're telling me your entire argument was based on the eyewitness account of a dog. (laughs) 
I mean, like, come on, like, Tuvok did that so well, so well. Um, and just, like, how willing he is. Like, there's just, I don't know, like, I love Spock, but I just, I feel more connected to Tuvok more than anything. Well, I also think, you know, that we have seven seasons of Tuvok. Sure. Whereas we, you know, we have three seasons and and, a co- and six movies with Spock. Yeah. There's just a lot more time that you spent with Tuvok. Yeah. I mean, even even T'Pol is is fun to to like learn about, you know, like and even the trajectory that she's on as well. But um, Tim Russ does a phen- phenomenal phenomenal job portraying uh, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok, not Lieutenant. Drives me nuts. He's wearing Lieutenant Commander Pips. In season in season one, yep, and in the opening yeah. credits, he's Lieutenant, but he's definitely wearing Lieutenant Commander Pips. Yes, he is. He doesn't True get story. promoted to Lieutenant Commander until like early season four. Weird. Yeah. It's weird stuff. But anyway, so we you know we've talked about. You know, just, I guess, like, general impressions about the Vulcans. We've kind of touched a little bit on, like, some of the cultural stuff, some of the, um, I guess, maybe, like, some of, like, the significant moment or moments. I think, Um, yeah, I think there's one more important thing that we do need to talk about. I don't know where you were heading with this, but before we get move on, I think there's one big thing that we haven't talked about, and that is the mind meld. Very good. That's you mind melded with me. Oh, that's so. where you were going. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, like we, like this is like, man, like you can't have Vulcans without a freaking mind meld. Like, like going into like the freaking mind palace of other people and pulling junk out, man. Like, mind melt. Here we go. Um, and we'll also talk about like, I mean, we also want to talk about a few other things in terms of like, yeah, I want to talk about things. the mind meld and what happens. Like, so. The first time we ever see the mind meld is in the episode Dagger of the Mind. It's early in season one of the original series. And like, yeah, Spock, my mind to your mind, your mind to mine, our minds are one. And, you know, he can basically like read other people's minds and like un- like understand what they're going through. And he uses it to qu- quite a good effect like throughout the show. Like at one point... He mind melds with a rock, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it, it's not a rock; it's the silicon creature on that the Horta. But yeah, it's essentially more rock. In the motion picture, he tries to mind meld with V'ger. That's true. <laughs> I mean, Spock's like, I must attempt to mind meld with it. If you even think in with Valeris in in the undiscovered country, like. He mind melts with her to figure out the whole plot. Once they figure out that she is like betrayed them, in a sense, he kind of like forces the mind meld on her, which I know some people have said like is a violation. Yeah. Right? I can understand like that thought, but he mind melts with Valeris to find out all the information about the 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 plot to kill the Klingon Chancellor. Um, So Spock uses the mind melt to great effect, and it's just like a thing. Hey, Vulcans can mind melt. Yep. He can also find out if a whale is pregnant by mind melting also. Yes, he did that. Yep. I totally didn't 
didn't remember that until you said it. Um, That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, but then like in in Voyager, you know, Tuvok. I'm gonna mind. There's there's a fan, there's a fantastic episode. It's just called Meld, where he mind melds with you know a crewman who commits murder, and and uh, it like um, <clears throat> basically drives Tuvok crazy in a sense because he's got all these homicidal urges from from the other from the other crewmen. Uh, real real good moment for for Tim Russ to shine playing that role. But like. It's a thing. Um, in the next generation, Picard mind melds with Sarek, right, to help Sarek get through um, some negotiations. And yeah. Picard essentially goes crazy because of all like the violent Im- images and impulses that came from Sarek's mind. Which, by extension, becomes a very uh, a beautiful moment, beautiful opportunity, really, for for Spock. You know, who had a very complicated relationship with his father, uh, one that was becoming more distant, more strange um, as the years went on, uh, especially there uh, by the time unification came along. You know, the fact that Picard is like, um, I melded with your father. I'm not going to do the, the quote in you justice, but like, uh, give me the, I, I present, I, I want to give you the opportunity to. to to touch your father's mind, basically, and and have a mind melt so that there could be like some kind of, you know, repair of sorts, some kind of con- like one final connection, um, you know, with Spock's loved one, regardless of how the relationship was. And that was that was really nice. Like I really liked the that touching moment that Picard was able to provide Spock by having had a prior connection with Sarek. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess the point where I'm driving home is like. Mind meld. It was just. It was just a part of the Vulcans. It was just something that they could do, right? And it was just, yeah, Vulcans. They can mind meld. No big deal. And then this goes. Now we get to like Enterprise, where we had already talked about, like Vulcans were portrayed very differently in Enterprise than they were before. And yes. one of the things is like, mind melding is very taboo. It's like something that you just you don't. You. It's like. It's not a common practice, and if you come across Vulcans who mind meld, they're like outcasts from society. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like it's this going back to like that idea of like the violation. Like this was something that to Paul, right? Like she she was on the the negative end of receiving a mind meld gone wrong, right? And it like wreaked havoc with her. Uh, like she had to like really like double down on on trying to keep herself square. And it, I mean, it, it was a minute before things really started to like resolve themselves. But like, yeah, like the mind meld, just like logic with Sirach, you know, like it was something that they had to really practice and discipline themselves with it wasn't just like some innate super duper magical power that they had like we were like we're led to believe right um to, to some extent like we're led to believe that that it's oh yeah they can just read, read your mind by by touching their thumb and their index finger on your cheek no like they had to like really study this and 
understand it and like move past like this taboo air quotes taboo practice of like a century and a half or many centuries prior to TOS um, before they were able to you know really do what they do now and and, and make it safe for, for other Vulcans and other species to be able to experience a mind melt. Yeah, and, um, I, think, and I think on that point, like, T'Pol was on the, the bad experience, the, like, the wrong end of, like, a violation. Um, and, and we get the idea that, like, these people, they didn't know how to mind meld properly. Like, they weren't... Mm-hmm. Like they didn't do it right in a sense. They they were they were being careless or they weren't disciplined enough, and eventually it causes like a brain disorder, or like a disease almost of the mind, in Vulcans called Panar syndrome. And and we get this really pointed story I think in season two of Enterprise in this episode called Stigma, where I think it I'm pretty sure this is Star Trek's like criticism of like the AIDS epidemic in the in the eighties where like the Vulcans looked at mind melders and said, You are undesirables in our society. And if you're gonna mind meld, well this sickness, this brain disorder is just your that's that's your own fault. You did it and you should you got it, you shouldn't have got it. And, you know, sucks to be you, but too bad. And like they weren't even trying to like look for a cure, find a cure, find a way to help these people because they saw them as such stigmatized. And I and I really do think that this is Star Trek trying to like portray the AIDS epidemic. Like they were sort of looked at as like, well, you know, you engaged in this like taboos behavior that you shouldn't have been doing, and you got this disease. Well, it sucks to be you. We're not going to help you. Yeah, I think I think that's i think it can certainly be um i think the aids uh outbreak pandemic whatever you want to call it um like you're saying i think that can certainly be uh one thing you know to associate with what with what you know we saw in enterprise but i think there have been a handful of other stories even from like next gen and maybe to a certain extent even like deep space nine that have maybe taken a page out of the, out of you know twentieth the twentieth century as as a talking point as well. Um, the thing that um, I guess like the the other bit of information I remember I told you this the other day um, was um, the salute right like the the salute like that's like that's you know that goes like hand in hand no pun intended. With uh, with mind melds and Spock and Vulcans in general, you know, like like I'm doing it like right now, like y'all can't see it, you know, but you know, like doing like the little V, like with your your middle finger um, and your your ring finger being separated from one another, um, yeah, like the Vulcan salute, like you know, you raise it and you you say you know live long and prosper, or if you don't want to be utterly self-serving, you know, peace and long life type of thing. Um, and um, I know I share this with Eric, but there might be some listening that don't know this, but uh, Leonard Nimoy, who, like we were talking about earlier in this episode, was instrumental in really, you know, carving out Vulcan culture, Vulcan society, Vulcan uh, uh, behaviorisms, and et cetera, et cetera. 
And the story, so the story goes that he was at um, a religious service of his own, and uh, there's a part where you're supposed to like keep your eyes closed in synagogue. Uh, he was Ju- Leonard Nimoy is Jewish, and he was in synagogue, and um, he ended up opening his eyes um, at one point, and he saw um, the rabbi who was holding his hand, both his hands up in what we now know as like the Vulcan salute. So he he took that. Um, to um, uh, to incorporate essentially, and um, they're supposed to represent like um, uh, a Hebrew letter, by the way. But um, I I struggled for the longest time. I don't know about you, Eric, but I struggled for the longest time just trying to do that. Like I had to like yeah, I, I had to pull my fingers apart. I can do it pretty easily with my left hand. With my right hand, I have to like like twist, bend, and then. Yeah, like yeah, left left hand not so much. Right hand is, is where it's at. Like I got it, I got it, I got it, I boom. got it. Left hand boom. for me, no problem. So, uh, but yeah, like it take it takes some practice. Like I mean, these are these are the things, man. Like there's 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 a lot of cool things about Vulcans. Like the thing that I really like about not just the Vulcans, but like just society, like like the aliens in general is not only do they give us an opportunity to look at our, our current issues or issues that were current at the time that a story was being produced, but it really does show like diversity being a good thing. That it gives us an angle, it gives us a perspective on something that gets us to consider something without even realizing that we're considering it type of thing. Um, whether it's like you know, Blue Ranger versus Red Ranger type of thing. It's Kirk versus Spock, charismatic versus logical versus whatever. Um, I, I just love that about Star Trek. That That's just me. I think that's very well said. So, Eric, is there, I mean, like, I'm sure there's, like, a lot, a lot, a lot more stuff about Vulcans that we could talk about. Like, this is just friggin' survey information. That's just kind of nerding out right now. But any... Any other like thoughts or ideas or just things that you're like, man, I gotta say this before we, we, we keep on trucking. Well, I mean, we obviously have to talk about one of the greatest Star Trek episodes of all time. It's a Deep Space Nine episode. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Do tell. Take me out to the Hollow Suite. Okay. All right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who doesn't want to play a baseball game against? An all Vulcan team. Like, this episode, no, no. This is this is one of the re- I love. Deep Space Nine, like it's like my favorite one, because you can have re- you can have random episodes like this. Like we're we're not like investing. We're not exploring some strange new world. We're not seeking out new life. But like Captain Cisco has like a rivalry with some Vulcan captain who he swears smiled at him one time <laughs> after he like they got into like a fight at the academy <laughs> and the Vulcan captain won and like Cisco swears he smiled and smirked at him and they've had a rivalry ever since <laughs> so they come onto the station and the way they solve the rivalry is they're going to play a baseball game death to the opposition <laughs> death to the opposition <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's like totally ridiculous, but like it works. Yeah. Oh, and then, and then you see like the, the, the Vulcan 
captain just about to like blow a gasket for crying out loud like with you know their suppressed emotions there at the end in quarks like that cisco like doesn't even care about the outcome at this point yeah because they scored a run right yeah the, the the niners scored a run on the vulcans and that was like a big summer it's like why are they celebrating so much we beat them <laughs> that is a fun episode it's a very fun episode Go check it out. If y'all haven't seen, take me out to the Hollow Suite, man. Deep Space Nine, baby. More good stuff. More gold. All right. I mean, I mean, like, there's, there's some, there's some great like Vulcan episodes. Like, I would recommend go out there and watch like the Galileo Seven, which is probably the first episode I think to like really put Spock in the leading role rather than the supporting role. Um. You know, I think, like, All Our Yesterdays is a really great episode. It's, like, the last episode of the original series. Um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, good Voyager episodes, like I said, Blood Fever, Meld. Um, there's, you know, one's Tuvok, great character. Tuvix, go watch Tuvix. It's not necessarily a, a Vulcan episode, but good episode. Um yeah, lots of great stories in Voyage, in Enterprise, you know, Fusion, Stigma are the two episodes that we were talking about, plus the whole, like, three-part serial in Season 4, right? Kishara, Awakening, The Forge. I don't think I have that order right. I think it's... I think it's The Forge, Awakening, and then Kishara, I think is the order. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> Lots of great episodes to check out. You know, good, good Vulcans, right? Good characters, good alien race. I was just looking at something, and um, this might be interesting to some people out there. I don't know. But um, apart from, like, the normal, like, cast of folks, like, you know, so, like, excluding, like, you know, like the Tuvoks, the T'Pols, the Spocks of like the TV shows there's a total of 160 appearances throughout Star Trek of Vulcans not counting our main cast and uh, that's a lot yeah the one so let me just I'll just say this like the number the most amount of appearances not main cast with Vulcans is Discovery second with 29 with 29 appearances because of they they're counting like Spock and Sarek yeah. and and uh, Tarina. Yeah, sure. Um, in second place with a second amount, so with uh, 27 appearances, we're looking at Deep Space Nine and uh, 26 appearances on uh, Next Generation. Can't really remember that many Vulcan appearances on Deep Space Nine. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they're there if it says. I would uh, think Enterprise would have a lot because you get, you know, you get like the the <clears throat> the monastery episode, all the episodes with yep. Ambassador Saval, right? You got yep. all the episodes with like the stigma and the fusion and things like that, and yep. then 
like to Paul's husband, right? To Paul gets married. We didn't, we just totally brushed over that. <laughs> That's a thing. That's a thing. To Paul got married. Yep. And almost got married again. Kind of. We'll leave that alone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. So yeah, there's there's a lot of appearances, a lot of appearances um, in in Star Trek with with um, our oldest allies, the Vulcans. So anyway, let's I say we wrap this thing up, man, and and um, and just let's let's start to head out. Um, but before we we head out too much, time for the really important part, my friend. Time for the Twitter poll. So, Eric, I polled the people of the Twitter, and I asked them this. You ready for it? Yes. Which Vulcan would most likely be crowned four-square champion on the playground? Okay. (laughs) Which Vulcan would most likely be crowned four-square champion on the playground? The choices were DePaul. To Pring, Valeris, Savic. My man Valeris will willing to do whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to Paul. Yep. To Pring. Mm-hmm. And Savic and Valeris. That's right. My guess is that T'Pol wins this just because she's like the biggest character. But I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm I think Valeris is like the cutthroat. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win this thing. That's my pick, Valeris. Your your pick is Valeris. Yes. Okay, let's go to the results then. So in fourth place with seven point seven percent of the vote, we have Savic. Okay. Okay. Coming in in third place with 23.1% of the vote to Paul. Okay, man, we're coming down to Tapring and Valeris, my dude. What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? No pressure. If you get this right, this will be be like four. That'd be four in a row that I got right. Four in a row if you get this right. Okay. Let's let's look this up. Let's see. So runner up, the runner up, with thirty point eight percent of the vote, to Pring. Which means thirty eight point five percent of the vote went to Valeris for being most likely to be the four square champion on the playground. Nice, nice. I'm I'm getting better at this. Done, my dude. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well tapped done. into the Twitterverse. Apparently. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much, my man, for for the conversation and, and nerding out, talking Vulcan stuff. Um. Anyway, everyone out there in Listenerland, like, what are your thoughts on the Vulcans, man? Like, do you connect? Like, do you, is there something about like the Vulcans that you just connect with? Like, maybe you connect with them more than you do you know, the humans or the Klingons or even androids, whatever it might be. 
can an android really do a mind meld? That's what I want to know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just you because you studied Vulcans doesn't mean you can mind meld. It's probably not even a mind meld. Like you probably have like some like juice in your fingertips that you're just doing like hypospray with. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what I think it is. Head cannon accepted. Anyway, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out trtvpod.com. You can learn more about us, learn about the show, uh, ways to support us, uh, connect with us. You know, we would love for you to share the show with your friends, with your Star Trek friends, even your Star Wars fans. You're not your Stargate fans. You're Farscape friends. You're whatever friends, your sci-fi friends. We love that. Um, anyway, learn more about us at trtvpod.com. Leave a show idea there if you want to or comment, stuff like that. Otherwise, if you want to you know, send us a note, send us an email, you can do that. Open up handling frequencies and enter in coordinates to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute limit, so be quick about it. Finally, if you do want to mail us something like, I don't know, the plans for a conspiracy with the Kinmer conference, that's fine. Like a boot, that's cool too. Or just a blue flower that Spock holds, that's cool too. Uh, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, remember to boldly go and make it simple.